Welcome to the Christ Community Church Podcast. This teaching was recorded live during our weekend service in St. Charles, Illinois. We invite you to join us in person any weekend in St. Charles, DeKalb, Aurora, or Streamwood. Learn more at ccclife.org. And now, enjoy the message. Well, I was a college student when I made my decision to uh, follow Jesus wholeheartedly. And uh, back then, I remember somebody gave me a book that they thought would fire up my pursuit of Christ. It was a a biography of a guy named Jim Elliott. Uh, Jim Elliott had lived a passionate life of devotion to Jesus, and I immediately connected with the book. Now, maybe it was because uh, Jim and I shared the same first name. Uh, Maybe it was because he died in the same year that I was born. Uh, Maybe it was the fact that uh, when he made his decision to surrender to Christ, he was a student at Wheaton College, and that was the school I was going to when I read his biography. But I was immediately impacted by his book, by his story. A little funny side story here. Uh, Jim Elliott, when he determined that he was going to follow Jesus, he gave up dating for a while because he didn't want a relationship with a girl to interfere with his relationship with, uh, with God. So I decided, as I'm reading his biography, that I would break up with my girlfriend, who happened to be Sue at the time. So uh, back then, we were on summer vacation break. I lived in Illinois. She lived in Ohio. So I stuck up my thumb. I hitchhiked 300 miles to Ohio so I could tell her that I was giving her up for Jesus. <laughs> Uh, but that didn't last too long. Uh, we, we got back to school, fall semester, a couple of weeks into the fall semester, not dating. She showed up at my library table one night, and she said, we got to talk. And we went out for a walk, and this is my best recollection of the conversation. It went like this. Uh, Sue said, you like me, don't you? Uh, Jim replied, yeah, I do. Uh, Sue said, then why aren't we dating? Uh, Jim replied, I don't know. Sue said, well, I think that's stupid. I don't think Jesus would mind. So Jim responded, okay. (laughs) And so we, we started dating again. We've been hanging out ever since. Now, back to the Jim Elliott story. After college, Jim teamed up with a group of four buddies who wanted to to bring the good news about Jesus to the Aka Indians of Ecuador, a Stone Age tribe living in the jungle. And so they got this little plane, and they flew in and landed on a sandbar in the middle of a river, and they did that repeatedly, each time leaving gifts and made some initial contacts. Things seemed to be going well until the day the tragedy struck. When they arrived at the sandbar, the Aka Indians stepped out of the jungle with spears and machetes, and they killed Jim Elliott and his four friends. Uh, This made the international news If the story sounds at all familiar, it's because 50 years later in 2006, they made a movie out of it called The End of the Spear. Now, here's why I tell you the story today. The Jim Elliott biography that I read years ago was called The Shadow of the Almighty. The Shadow of the Almighty. And that's one of the titles given to God in the opening verses of Psalm 91, our text for the day. You know, the psalmist writes, whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. So welcome to week two of a six-part series. We're uh, taking some psalms from the book of Psalms and studying them together. We're calling this Songs of Hope, Songs of Hope. And our scripture today is Psalm 91. Uh, You want to get get a hold of a Bible, so push pause if you don't have a Bible with you. We're going to mark up our Bibles a a bit today. 
and there's an outline that you could follow on our mobile app. You could fill it in as we go. The theme of Psalm 91 is God's protection. God's protection. But I want to begin our study with a question. Why didn't God protect Jim Elliott? Why didn't God protect Jim Elliott? Verse 10 of Psalm 91, we're going to get to it in a little bit. It says that those who trust in God, no harm will overtake you. No disaster will come near your tent. Well, tell that to Jim Elliott. I mean, where was God's protection when he needed it? One Bible scholar writes this about Psalm 91. He says, for the, for the faithful who have experienced tragedy, these promises, Psalm 91, smack of being cruel. How should we respond to the psalm when calamity strikes us or those we love? This psalm appears to provide believers with blanket guarantees against harm. So what's the deal with Psalm 91? Can we count on God's protection or not? You know, when, when we're threatened with cancer or miscarriage or job loss or spousal abuse or bullying on social media or getting cheated financially or COVID-19, is God going to protect us or not? Can we truly rest in the shadow of the Almighty? Good question. Now, I'm not going to answer that question right off the bat. We're, we're going to start working our way through Psalm 91. This psalm breaks down into three distinct parts. So if you're, you're taking notes, here's part one, the psalmist's testimony. Okay, the psalmist's testimony. Now, Bible scholars aren't certain who wrote Psalm 91. Uh, many of the psalms, if you go up to the top of the psalm, they'll list the author. Okay, but when you get to Psalm 91, there's no author identified here. However, back in the second century BC, uh, the Old Testament, the Hebrew Old Testament, was translated into Greek, and the Greek translators put David's name at the top of the psalm. So, evidently, way back when, uh, there was an oral tradition that had been passed on from generation to generation by mouth that David was the author of this psalm. So I'm going to assume for our purposes that David was the author of Psalm 91. Now, I'm going to read the opening two verses to you. And as I do, I want you to note David's use of I and my. Okay, first person personal pronoun. Okay, David is giving us his testimony. He's saying, this is how I've experienced God in my life. Let me read these two verses to you. Psalm 91, 1 and 2. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. This is the word of the Lord. Yes, thanks be to God. Thank you, God, for your holy word. Now, as we look at these two verses, keep your Bible open in front of you. We're, we're going to look at eight words that describe God's protection. Okay, there are two sets of four words each. Uh, the first set has to do with metaphors, word pictures that describe God's protective nature. And if you got your Bible open to verses one and two, this is where you get to mark it up. I want you to circle these four words. Okay, the first word is shelter. God is a shelter. Now, that's not a very popular word today because we're all sick and tired of sheltering in place. 
Okay, but it's a protection word. God is a shelter. Next metaphor, David says God is not only a shelter, he's a, he's a shadow. Now, why is shadow a protective word? You wouldn't have to ask that question if you lived in the Middle East under the blazing sun that could bake you alive. In fact, on, on those occasions when I've taken a tour group to, to Israel and we're outside and our, our tour guide is lecturing to us at some ancient site and the sun is blazing down on us, uh, after a few minutes, I find myself looking for some tree, some wall I could stand up against for the sake of its shade. If I can't fi- find a tree or a wall, I just look for the biggest guy in the group and I, I stand next to him. Okay, God is a shadow from the blazing sun. God's a shelter, God's a shadow. Third metaphor, God's a refuge. Circle that. Self-explanatory. Fourth metaphor, God is a fortress. Circle that. So you circled shelter, shadow, refuge, fortress. This is David's testimony. Okay, this, is, this is how David has seen God the protector operate in his own life. And then David gives us a second set of four words in these verses that underscore God's protection. This time it's four names by which God goes. So if you circled the metaphors, now I want you to put a square around each of these four names. Okay, first one, he's most high. The most high. In other words, God stands above the troubles we face. God cuts them down to size. He's the most high. God, most high. Second name for God, David calls God the Almighty. So there's there's nothing more powerful than God. He's almighty. Then David calls God, thirdly, the Lord. The Lord. Put a square around that. Now, in Hebrew, this is God's proper name, if you would. Okay, in Hebrew, it's Yahweh. Now, Yahweh is first used in Scripture in Exodus chapter 3. You might recall the story. God speaks to to Moses from a burning bush. And God says to Moses, I've chosen you to go to Pharaoh and to liberate my people. 400 years of slavery, slavery are going to come to an end. And Moses said to God, you know, you got to be kidding me. That's the original Hebrew there. you got to be kidding me. God, if I go to the people, if I go to Pharaoh and I say, uh, you know, I've come to set you free, they're going to ask, who sent you? And what do I tell them? And so God says to Moses, he says, Yahweh, my name is the Lord. It's Yahweh. Tell them Yahweh sent you. So this is God's proper name. It's then used over 4,000 times in the Old Testament. You know, don't don't miss this. God's people are on a first-name basis with God. He is not only the protector. If I've come to know God personally, then he is my protector. He's God. He's Yahweh, the Lord. In fact, please note that the word my is used three times in these opening verses. So, David calls God the Most High, the Almighty, the Lord, or Yahweh. Fourth name, God. Plain old God, if you, if you would. So four metaphors that describe God's protection and then four names that under, uh, underscore God's protection. And David says, you know, this is my testimony. Th- this is what I've personally experienced. This is how God has shown up in my life. He's been my protector. Now, isn't it interesting that David could write all this about God with absolute sincerity 
Even though from what we know of David's story, it sure didn't seem like God was always protecting David. I mean, there were, there were those occasions over a period of years when um, wicked King Saul was hot on his trail and David was running for his life. And then after David became king, years later, his son Absalom rebelled, stirred up a mutiny, a coup. And once again, David had to run for his life, get out of the city. So how can David say, God has been my protector? How could David write Psalm 91? Some years ago, my friend Rob let me know that his wife, Carol, his wife had stage four cancer. And I could still remember where we were when Rob broke this news to me. We were sitting in his car. He was behind, behind the, uh, in the driver's seat behind the steering wheel, and I was in the passenger seat, and we prayed together, and I wept openly. I was brokenhearted. And yet, at the same time, I, you know, I thought to myself, well, Rob was, still is, the pastor of a large church like Christ Community Church, so certainly his whole church is praying for Carol, so God is bound to protect her, right? God's going to heal her from this disease. Well, Carol died. Now, fast forward several years. I'm reading the Bible one day. I'm reading Psalm 91. God's our, our protector. And I'm a bit confused. And I picked up the phone and I called my friend Rob. And I had the sort of conversation you can only have with somebody you know really, really well. I said, Rob, you familiar with Psalm 91? Of course. Of course. I said, well, you know, how does Psalm 91 square with Carol's death? I mean, where was God when he, he was supposed to be protecting you? Where was God? When it came time to protect Carol from cancer. I don't remember everything that Rob said to me in that conversation, but here's what I do recall. Rob was still absolutely convinced after all he'd been through that God was his protector. And that God had been Carol's protector in some significant, some ultimate sense. That was Rob's story. That was his testimony and he was sticking to it. And that was David's testimony. Is it your testimony? Okay, do you live with the confidence that God is your protector, even in the midst of a, a, a pandemic? Even when the economy is looking as bleak as it does, where does this kind of assurance come from? I mean, let's be honest. It's not our natural bent to trust God for protection. Our natural bent is to worry. Our natural bent is to wring our hands, is to lose sleep, is to imagine worst-case scenarios. So how can we nurture instead a confidence that God has our back? Now, here's the secret. You want to mark this down. We've got to constantly rehearse the truths about who God is. We've got to constantly rehearse the truths about who God is. Now, what do I mean rehearse? Well, in the opening verse, verses 1 and 2 of Psalm 91, David recites out loud four metaphors about God's protection and then four names that underscore God's protection. The Old Testament book of Psalms is jam-packed with these sorts of names and attributes, metaphors for God. So let me encourage you to become a regular reader of the Psalms. You know, read a psalm a day. And here's something else, another tool that we, we'd love to give you. Uh, this is our, our A to Z 
attributes of God, God lists that you're going to find in, the, in your mobile app. So take a minute to uh, fire up your mobile app, CCC mobile app, and you will see uh, attributes of God. This is an A to Z list of over 250 names and titles and attributes by which God goes in Scripture. Now, you may have come across this before on the app and wondered, well, what is it there for? So let me tell you how to use it. Okay, you, you use this each day and you take two or three names or attributes off this list and you pray them back to God. You, you praise God for who he is. You, you sort of riff on one of the, one of the attributes. You, you think of everything you can that's related to that attribute. So let's say, for example, you're in the K's and you come across knowing, K-N-O-W-I-N-G. God is knowing. And so you, you praise him. You say, God, I praise you because you know everything about everything. You, you know math and science and literature. You, you know about pandemics. You know about computers. You know, there's nothing you don't know. You know the past. You know the present. You know the future. You know everything there is to know about my life. You know about my job. You know about the challenges I face. You know about the conflicts in my relationships. You know, you know about my problems. You know the things that keep me awake at night. You know everything. You're knowing, all-knowing. You see how that works? And then, then you move on to another attribute. And if you'll do this regularly, just a couple of these uh, a day, your knowledge of who God is will grow exponentially. Your confidence in God's protection is going to grow and grow and grow. I would encourage you to do this with your family. Okay, when you sit around the dinner table, just say, hey, everybody take your phone out. Go to the mobile app. Okay, look, look at the A to Z attributes list. Everybody pick an attribute off the list and let's just go around. Let's pray your attribute back to God. Praise God for who he is. If you're a community group leader, do this with your community group. I did this a week ago with my men. We started our group just by saying, you know, Zoomed group. Guys, go to your mobile app, pick an attribute of God. Let's start by just praying an attribute of God back to him. Okay, if you'll do this, God's protection will become your testimony. This is how you will own it for yourself. Number two, the believer's security. Okay, let's go back to Psalm 91. We're picking it up at verse 3. And I, I want you to know that David now changes from uh, his personal pronouns in verses 1 and 2 are I and my. Okay, David's testimony. Now in verses 3 to 13, he switches to an emphasis on you and your. In other words, David is saying, you know, I, I've experienced God as, as my protector. Now, now I want you to experience him, this sense of security in your life. You know, it, it's, it's kind of like a TV infomercial, if you would. Okay, you, you ever watch one of those My Pillow infomercials? Okay, there's some lady who's talking about the fact that she never got a good night of sleep and she's, uh, you know, wakened up for years with a sore neck and then she discovered Mike's pillow, the my pillow. And now she sleeps soundly every night. So what I've experienced, she says, is now for you. I want you to experience a good night's sleep. Get yourself one of these pillows. You know, by, by the way, uh, you all know I love to read biographies. Somebody found a, a, an autobiography that's just come out. Mike of My Pillow has come out with an autobiography. So I ordered it this last week since you brought it to my attention, and I look forward to, uh, to reading it. Okay? So David isn't promoting a pillow, David is promoting a God who protects. 
So in verses 1 and 2, he says, okay, here's what I've experienced. God's protection. And then in verses 3 to 13, he adds, now, you ought to get some of the same security for yourself. So let me read these verses to you. And please note, as I do, three aspects of security that God offers us. Okay, the first one I'm going to call diversified help. God offers us diversified help. And what I mean by that is that God's protection covers a wide variety of threatening situations in our lives. Let me say that again. God's protection covers a wide variety of threatening situations in our lives. So pick it up at verse 3. Surely he will save you. We're going to you now. He will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers and under his wings. You will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. So David is describing in the verses I just read to you, God's diversified help. He can protect you from disease. You know, he talks about the pestilence that, you know, stalks, the, the plague that destroys it at, at midday. He can protect you from anxiety attacks, the terror of, uh, of night. He can protect you from people who mean to do you harm. They shoot the arrow that flies by day. So God's protection covers the entire range of dangers you face. Okay, it's, not, it's not like one of those warranties you get for your washing machine and then when it breaks down, the repairman comes and he says, well, sorry, but the warranty doesn't cover this. So you read the fine print, dude. Now, God's protection covers everything. From physical illnesses to financial troubles to marital conflicts to bullying at school to, you, know, you name it, diversified help. Second, the security of the believer is that God offers personalized help. Okay, back to the text, picking it up at verse 7. Again, again, note how many times David uses the pronoun you or your. Okay, he's trying to sell us on the notion that God can be our protector. He says, a thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you say... Okay, if you say the Lord is my refuge and you make the Most High your dwelling, then no harm will overtake you. No disaster will come near your tent. We're talking about personalized help. See, God, God is not just concerned with global issues. God, God is not simply concerned with wars in the Middle East and famine in Africa and poverty in South America and COVID-19 in the United States. God is concerned about you. God is concerned about you. Now, of course, this assumes that you belong to God. You know, look again at verse 9. David says that God's protection is for those who have personally chosen to make God their refuge. If you make God your refuge. God's protection is for those who dwell in him, who make him their dwelling place. Is that you? Have you surrendered your life to Jesus? Has Jesus become your savior, your king, your refuge? You know, are you living in Jesus today? Are, are you walking in the truths of his, his word? God offers 
personalized protection, but it's for those who have personalized a relationship with him. Is that you? Have you surrendered to Jesus? Thirdly, this is not only diversified help and personalized help, this is miraculous help. So let me continue reading. We're going to pick it up at verse 11. It says, For he will, give, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. Wow. What a promise. Angels guarding us. I mean, is this for real? Let me tell you a story. Years ago, uh, we were on a family vacation in Woodstock, Vermont. If you've never been there, it's a, a wonderful New England, a Courier and Ives, uh, a picturesque little town. And we were walking down the street, down the sidewalk, and the kids were running ahead of us. And Sue and I were deep in conversation, so we weren't paying attention to the three kids. And uh, Rachel, who was probably five or six years old at the time, she called out, hey, can I cross the street? And without looking up, Sue and I just said, okay. But it wasn't okay. You know, there was a truck barreling down the street at the time. And Rachel steps off the curb. And she trips and falls flat on her face. And the truck zooms by. Now, if she'd been run over by the truck, it would have been the end of our, our, our little girl, Rachel. Now, Sue and I look back on that event. And to this day, we say, an angel tripped her. We're sure of it. Now, I know Psalm 91 says that the angels will pick you up in their hands so that you won't stumble against a stone. But on that occasion, she stumbled because she got pushed, I think, by an angel. Seriously, though, you know, someday, if you know Christ, Someday you will be in his presence in a new heaven and a new earth, and he's going to show you the highlights reel of your life. I don't have a chapter and verse for the highlights reel part, but this is what I imagine. He's going to show you how many times in the course of your life, without you knowing it, he protected you. You know, he protected you from a, a deadly car accident or a, a crippling disease. He protected you from a, a malicious gossip or from a disastrous decision you were about to make or some unjust lawsuit or from a spiritual attack of, of Satan or from a bad relationship you were about to get into. Now, sometimes God uses very ordinary means to rescue us in these situations. So it doesn't feel miraculous. It doesn't feel like angelic assistance. You know, we don't have a sense in the words of Psalm 91 that we're treading on snakes and we're trampling lions. But without knowing it, we are experiencing God's miraculous help. Do you have a believer's security? Are you confident that God is protecting you with diversified, personalized, miraculous help? Number three, third part of this psalm. The Lord's promise. The Lord's promise. So when we get to verse 14 of Psalm 91, David changes, changes personal pronouns one more time. So in verses 1 and 2, he uses I and my. It's his personal testimony. In verses 3 to 13, he begins talking to you and your. It's the believer's security. Now in verse 14, he goes back to using I and my and me, but this time it's not David speaking. The I and my are the Lord speaking. It's a promise that he makes to us. Let me read it to you beginning at verse 14. 
Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, will I satisfy him and show him my salvation? Okay, before I spell out the Lord's promise of protection in these verses, let me note again that the promise is is only made to those who belong to the Lord. I mean, if you have never surrendered your life to Christ, sorry, but you can't take this promise to the bank. You know, it's not for you. Why do I say that? Well, look again at verse 14. The Lord promises to rescue those who love him. He promises to protect the person who acknowledges my name, he says. Drop down to the opening line of verse 15. The Lord promises to to deliver the person who calls on him. Is this the kind of relationship that you have with God? You know, an intimate love relationship. Would God say of you, oh, he loves me. She loves me. You know, do you acknowledge his name? Is the name of Jesus the banner over you because he is your king? He's the Lord of your life. Do you carry an ongoing uh, conversation with him? Do you call upon him, as the scripture says here? See, God, God is not some exotic genie. You know, you rub the lamp and he comes out and he, he protects you in some way. He's a great and awesome God who desires a relationship with you. Now, if you have such a relationship... Look at what God promises you. I mean, circle all the verbs in verses 14 through 16 that describe what the Lord will do for you. Okay, let me give you these, these verbs. Rescue, protect, answer, be with in trouble, deliver, honor, satisfy with long life, show salvation. Well, one verb won't do to describe God's protection of you. God uses eight verbs to drive home this truth. Now, before we conclude our study of Psalm 91, we got to go back to the question that I posed at the beginning of this sermon because I haven't answered it yet. Remember Jim Elliott, the missionary who was killed by the Aka Indians? Why didn't God protect him? And, and, And why would the author of his biography have the temerity to call it shadow of the Almighty? Using a description of God from Psalm 91, a psalm that's all about God's promise of protection. Well, it doesn't seem like he protected Jim Elliot. So why call his biography shadow of the of the Almighty? You know, can we count on God's protection or not? What about our current situation? Is God going to protect every believer from COVID-19? Is God going to protect every believer in the wrecked economy from losing their job or their business or their retirement savings? Let me make two qualifying statements about the Lord's promise of protection in Psalm 91. First, the Lord promises to sovereignly intervene. Okay, the Lord promises to sovereignly intervene. What do I mean by sovereignly? I mean that it's God's decision. Okay, it's God's decision when to totally protect us from some trouble or hardship and when to allow it in our lives. Take a look again at verse 15. Okay, the Lord says this about every believer. He says, I will be with him in trouble. Note that, in trouble. 
So the Lord will occasionally allow times of trouble in our lives. Jesus told his followers in John 16, verse 33, he said, In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. So so when we find ourselves in threatening circumstances, we should definitely call out to the Lord for protection. Save me, God. Help me. Protect me. Pray. Pray earnestly. Absolutely. And many times, when we do that, God will shield us from that trouble. But other times, he'll allow it. Because it accomplishes his good and wise and sovereign purpose in our lives, which we may never understand, certainly won't understand at the time. Uh, I, I subscribe to a monthly news magazine put out by Voice of the Martyrs. Voice of the Martyrs is a Christian organization that supports persecuted Christ followers around the world. And I, I often ask myself when I read about the suffering of these believers, why isn't God protecting them? Okay, so take, for example, the story of Arav. Arav lives in, in India, last issue of Voice of the Martyrs magazine. For years, he suffered a chronic illness. He spent all his money on doctors and treatments, and nothing made him better, and he ended up further and further in debt. And then one day, he met a guy who introduced him to Jesus. Arav surrendered his life to Christ, and over time, God healed his disease. Now, if the story ended there, whoa, what a great story, but it continues. One day, Arav is meeting for for Bible study with the guy that led him to Christ. And a group of 50 militant Hindus surround the house and begin banging on the doors and the windows and calling out all sorts of curses and insults. Fortunately, the police came to his rescue, but the mob went into the village and spread a rumor that Arav was paying people to convert to Christianity, which wasn't the truth, but it destroyed Arav's reputation. He lost his job. He was kicked out of his house. He was renting a house, and the owner said goodbye. So I read a story like that, and I ask myself the question, you know, why didn't God, why didn't God protect Arif? I don't know. But I'll tell you what I do know. I know that God wants us to pray. He wants us to cry out. He wants us to say to, say to him, God, you are my protector God, you're my shelter, you're you're my shadow, you're my refuge, you're my fortress. Save me. And many times God will intervene and he will save us from that trouble. So don't be shy to pray for God's protection. But other times, for reasons I can't explain, God sovereignly chooses to allow troubles in our lives. You know, maybe it's to shape our character or to give us opportunities to share Jesus with others. Maybe it's to rearrange our misplaced priorities. Maybe it's to move us in a direction that we would rather not take. Maybe it's even on occasion to take someone home to be with him eternally. The Lord promises to sovereignly intervene. Sovereignly, his decision. That leads me to a second qualifying statement regarding God's promise of protection. The Lord promises to ultimately save. The Lord promises to ultimately save. When the Apostle Paul was writing the New Testament epistle of Philippians, he was sitting in jail for his faith. And he thought there was a pretty good chance that he was going to be executed. 
So was Paul wringing his hands and saying, God, where, where's your protection? Why aren't you protecting me from this? Now, I, I want to read to you what David writes in Philippians chapter 1, verses 21 to 23. He says, for me, to live is Christ and to die, listen to this, to die is gain. If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. See, Paul was convinced that God had something in store for him ultimately that nothing could take away. And so if God decided not to protect him in this life, David was, or Paul rather, was cool with that because that could only mean an accelerated step into the presence of Christ and the beginning of his eternal reward. See, Paul had a much bigger perspective than the here and now. Do we? You know, do we see God's protection only in terms of him saving our health or our job, our marriage, our pregnancy, our lifestyle, our 401k, our college dreams? Or are we constantly thanking Jesus for saving us in a much bigger sense for all eternity? See, my, my, my guess is that, is that Arav, that Christ follower in India, that he maintains his allegiance to Jesus in the midst of losing his home, his job, his reputation, because he's confident that the Lord is protecting what matters most. He's confident that the Lord is protecting what matters most. The Lord promises to ultimately save. Would you bow your head with me in prayer? Lord God, as we come to a conclusion of this psalm, I want to pray for those who are listening and want to pray for me as well, God. May it become our testimony that you are our protector, God. I want to pray that you would stimulate the use of that A to Z attributes list, that as we make a regular habit out of rehearsing your attributes, God, that we would gain confidence that you will be our protection. God, I want to pray for believers who are listening right now that they would know that your protection is diversified. It covers every area of life. It's personalized. You are focused on each and every one of us. It is miraculous. There are times when angels are intervening on our behalf. And God, I thank you for your promise. All eight things that you say you're going to do for us in the closing verses of this psalm. And I pray that we would learn to trust you. But I also pray that we would learn to keep one eye on eternity. If, we, if we've never personalized our faith, our hope in you, God, I pray that even today we, we would surrender to you. We would want to say, God, I want you to be my protector. And so I surrender my life to Jesus as Savior and King. God, as we step out into a world that is fraught with dangers, may we be convinced of the fact that you have our back and that you have saved us not only in this present world many a time, but that you, you will save us for all eternity. We pray in Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen.